darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Listen, everybody, I want you all to be quiet. I've got Ben's college yearbook here, and I just want to read you some of the wonderful things about Ben. Hey, there's the award-winning scholar. We're all very proud of you, Ben. How are you, track star? What are you going to do now? I was going to go upstairs for a minute. Oh, I meant with your future. Your life. Well, that's a little hard to say. Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Have you gotten us a room yet? I haven't, no. Do you want to? I'll get undressed now, is that all right? Sure. Shall I? I mean, shall I just stand here? I mean, I don't know what you want me to do. Why don't you watch? Oh, sure, thank you. Benjamin, are you having an affair with someone? I do think you should know the consequences of what you've done. I, I do think you should know that my wife and I are getting a divorce soon. What happened between Mrs. Robinson and me was nothing. It didn't mean anything. Well, that's not saying much for my wife. The point is, I don't love your wife. I love your daughter, sir. Are you going to Scarborough Fair? I want to ask you a question, and then I'm going. Come in. No. I want to know why you're here in Brooklyn. Is it because I'm here? Well, look, I love you. Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. Will you marry me? Are we getting married tomorrow? Why don't you just drag me off if you want to marry me so much? You can't stop me from seeing her, Mrs. Robinson. I'll find her. Sorry we won't be able to invite you to the wedding, Benjamin, but the arrangements have been so rushed. episode 14 of film gold so we're just about a year into the podcast i think we're recording this on the 7th of december it's probably going out just before or just after the new year but uh we have the return of jay crush who was in the intro episode and then we did uh marathon man and then i think the last time you were on was the wall so how have you been been good very happy to be back talking about another great film yeah absolutely 
quite a strange film, I've got to say. I know this film very well. It's, uh, there's a kind of repeating pattern with classic films in that when I was younger, I would have taped it off the telly and just watched it to death. So it's like mm -hmm. I almost don't even need to ever watch it again. And then every five years or something, I'll revisit these films. And they always mm -hmm. hold up. But you were saying off mic, they're always different, aren't they? Because they're sort of timeless in a way. Right. You're in different phases of your life and, and sort of where you are in your life plays a part in how the film you perceive the film in that particular time in your life you know it's just a testament to you know, what a great film it is because it's always relevant to you in some way yeah and these these good films i mean they at the end of the day they're good films you know and uh, some people like to pin them to a certain era and obviously this was this is 67 so it's sort of on the cusp of quite a major new era but i think at the end of the day it's a great film but the thing i wanted to talk about first was that i'd never actually considered the genre of this film and then when i was looking on wikipedia last night to make a few notes it said our oh, 1967 romantic comedy and i was suddenly thinking i've always thought of this as a coming of age film but then it has this yeah it has this very weird turn in the second half which we'll get to later where it almost becomes yes. like a stalker drama uh, right do you think this film has got a genre or is it just is it just the graduate it's unique well i think the latter yes it's the graduate it's unique and, yeah. but i think that's kind of also the beauty of the movie is that it has layers of genre like the first layer it could be yeah romantic awkward comedy yeah coming of age uh, definitely. offbeat you know but then yeah it has underlying themes to it it also has like a yeah an interesting last act so to yeah. say we'll get to that i'll guide us through this because this is i must <laughs> say you know when i watched it last night and i listened to these guys talking about it and i watched a couple of the documentaries it was very it was a great evening i had getting mm. back absorbed into this world so i'll just go through like the particulars just for the audience um obviously there'll be spoilers galore There'll also be symbolism galore coming from me. So yeah. if you're listening to this, you haven't seen the film, seriously, get out there and see it. And it's available, I'm sure, in lots of places. So it's 1967. came out just before Christmas. Directed by Mike Nichols, who had just made Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with uh, Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. So yeah. after spending a bit of time with them, he was probably you know, ready for anything. He went on to make Catch-22, which is a really good film based on the book. Yeah. Carnal Knowledge. Carnal Knowledge is a great film. I had seen it 10 years ago. I, I watched it again. Fantastic film. Yeah, I think I've only seen that once. Uh, coincidentally, it has Art Garfunkel in it. That's good to say. You know, there's a, the Simon and Garfunkel music that runs throughout The Graduate. So interesting connection there. Absolutely. And then another one is um, the writer is Buck Henry, who has a cameo. He's the receptionist brilliant scene where ben's trying to book a room mm. i love that mm -hmm. and he wrote catch 22 so he carried on working with Nichols. and then we got justin hoffman and i mean this is crazy i was looking at his filmography and i i realized that's i think i've seen about 15 of his films and they're all up to about 2005 or something because i don't i don't know how many he's making yeah. then let me just read this this is his 1970s filmography let's say going from the graduate okay Midnight Cowboy, I'm not going to read them all, but the memorable ones. Midnight Cowboy, Little Big Man, Straw Dogs, Papillon, Lenny, All the President's Men, Marathon Man, Kramer versus Kramer, and then Tootsie was 82. Mm -hmm. I mean, man, what a run. 
Rain Man. Yeah, that was uh, that's late eighties. Yeah, and then he popped up. He's one of these people that just was always working. I think he's slowed down a bit now because he must be over. Must be about eighty, eighty three now. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think we've already talked about him. But I think he's, well, he's kind always of, been one of my favorite actors. Definitely. Um, me. You know, we of course we did Marathon Man. It's interesting. We're back into another Dustin Hoffman flick and i'm sure we could easily do midnight cowboy i'd, cool. I'd love to discuss midnight cowboy uh, i'd do that in a heartbeat just, yeah. you know uh, awesome film yeah. and i mean the guy was really a cutting edge actor you know a kind of a method actor maybe even before the de niro's came on the scene and sure his versatility is also just evident across his career you know you see that range of characters that he can play i mean i know he's probably been out there talking about different things but he's kind of not a lot of that guy you hear of hear from a lot other than mm. in his roles yeah he's I mean, he, kind of a private personality i guess compared I mean, I, to some yeah i could i could see him as a very fundamentally very shy i think that comes across even in ratso rizzo we're not going to talk about that now by the way <laughs> we will do that in the yeah. future but even there, you know, there's a vulnerable person. And, I mean, to go from this to Midnight Cowboy, it's similar to Hackman went from the French connection to the conversation. Yeah. There is just no connection, pun intended, between those two people that he's playing. The same as, can you imagine if Benjamin Braddock yeah. met Ratso Rizzo on the streets of New York? I mean, I'd pay money to see that yeah. encounter, you know. I mean, that... <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> well, it's fun. It's funny you mentioned Hackman because I think he was kind of out of that same school uh, uh, of those '60s actors that kind of came onto the scene. And Robert Duvall was the other one. They were like a well, Duvall, three three I mean, friends. Yeah. They would hang out, and I think they shared uh, a flat actually, Dustin and Gene Hackman. I think you're right about that. I I, mm. I think I've heard that someplace, and it's 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 not a surprise because you see Hackman had that ability too. You know, even in his later years, he was able to do a lot, as was Hoffman. And you always believe that character. He is the character. And it's He's just... very committed, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we got Anne Bancroft, who was Mrs. Mel Brooks in real life. I realized I hadn't seen her in many things, actually. She was in The Elephant Man, actually. You know, The David yes. Lynch, which is another one of my absolute favorite films me as well yeah and then we got Catherine ross who would appear in butch cassidy a couple of years later mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. she was in uh, possibly the worst film of all time the swarm have you ever seen that one about the bees the swarm no i don't <laughs> it's hilarious that. with michael Caine. it's quite entertaining it's one of those so bad it's good but uh I it's hilarious I, I don't even think i've heard well it was kind of in the wake <laughs> in the wake of jaws you had piranha and then alligator and you had the swarm. It was just, a, it was a killer animals, but you've got like a guy, Richard Widmark plays this guy and you've got thousands of bees and he's trying to shoot them with a gun. <laughs> How many fucking bullets would you need? <laughs> and then Murray Hamilton, of course, Murray Hamilton, I just know from Jaws, mm -hmm. uh, the mayor in Jaws. He was in Anatomy of a Murder. I don't know if you ever come across that one. I've heard of it, but that I've never seen it. That is a great film. James is that on Stone. your list? Yeah, that's we should it, talk about your list too. Anthony's got a great list going. My, my flick chart and graduate is actually mm -hmm. number thirty-five. I just checked this morning, out of fifteen hundred. So pretty. Wow, I'm gonna high. I'm gonna say graduate's my number three. Wow. Yeah, 
Yeah, I have a few questions like, as we get later on, which hopefully you'll be answering for me. <laughs> sure. I'll fight to the death for this film. See if you can get a bit higher up my flick chart then. But I'm because I'm very open. I'm very open to that. Yeah, very interesting. I haven't read the novel, but this is based on a novel. Benjamin in the novel yes. is basically much more like Robert Redford, uh, who was actually approached for the role, and for whatever reason, I don't, I don't know if they decided or he decided not to do it. But uh, listen to this. Also considered for Benjamin were Jack Nicholson and Steve McQueen, and then uh, for Mr. Robinson, Marlon Brando. Yeah. I I'll can watch, see that. I'll watch Marlon Brando and anything. I can imagine Marlon Brando just fucking with Benjamin's head, you know, yeah. just changing yeah. the lines, and you can imagine that. <laughs> I could definitely see that. Music by Simon and Garfunkel. The strange thing about this is that there's only actually, well, there's three songs that repeat, which is yes. Sound of Silence, Scarborough Fair, and Mrs. Robinson, and then you get a little bit of April, Come She Will. I'm a massive Simon and Garfunkel fan, so I will just... You can criticise the fact that one particular song we'll get to just continually starts and stops in the film. But mm -hmm. I can't get enough of Simon and Garfunkel, so I'm down with that. I believe Dave Grusin did some of the arrangements of the Simon and Garfunkel tracks. He's just an outstanding composer. He's one of my favourite film score. You may want to fact-check me on that, but I'm okay. pretty sure Dave Grusin did the arrangements and additional music for The Graduate. And he, he must have been really young right. at the time. You know, Mike Nichols was pretty young. Hoffman was young. Yeah. I mean, The Graduate pretty much launched him into something, but they took a lot of chances with the film. I'm surprised they got it made. I mean, yes, it was 67, which means they probably you know, started production in the screenplay. It was a novel. I did read the novel. The film actually is very close to the novel. There's some parts that are left out. I mean, obviously, but I think that the film was a really great transition from the novel. Now I'm saying that I read the novel probably when I was 18 years old. Right, right. And I think that was when I saw The Graduate for the first time after yeah. I had read the novel. Right, but right. um surprisingly they took a chance on the film and the taboo subject i don't think was ever presented in that kind of way but because it was like you said classified as maybe on the surface as a romantic mm. comedy there were comedic elements to it yeah. through comedy they were able to sort of challenge the status quo of what you could talk about what was a taboo sort of thing but something that was happening in daily life obviously was happening back in the 60s it's happening today it was happening in the 20s the subject of infidelity and those types of things you know and they're touched on in films of the 50s but never in this way that was a comedic way of breaching a taboo subject yeah, I mean, there's constants that go through, obviously. It's probably the same stuff is always happening behind the scenes in society. It's just what we're being allowed to be shown, you know. But yeah, going back to the music, yeah, so there's a there's sort of flute arrangements. There's a, a whistled version of Mrs. Robinson. Then you've got that really cool, like the jing, 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 with the Bo Diddley beat. Yeah. I love that. And it slows down when the car runs out. I was yeah. just going to say that, like, yeah. 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 The, the, the guitar slows down as the car. That's brilliant. It actually won only one Oscar, which was Mike Nichols. It was nominated 
in all the other main categories. The main film it lost to was In the Heat of the Night, which is another classic that I haven't got to yet. Sidney Poitier and yeah, Rod Steiger. Yeah. That won Best Picture. Rod Steiger won Best Actor. And it won mm. Adapted Screenplay. And then Catherine Hepburn won Best Actress for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. To be honest, I wouldn't have had Anne Bancroft as Best Actress. I think she's supporting. I think Catherine Ross as well. Because Mrs. Robinson kind yeah. of disappears, doesn't she, the second half, and then pops up again. Yeah, this is number seven on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movies. I'm going to be giving you a little bit of film quiz questions tonight to keep you on your toes, just in case you get too relaxed Uh-oh. over there. Uh, what do you think was number one? It's not too difficult to guess. AFI's 100. On the AFI list? Yeah, what do you think is number one? Citizen Kane. Is the right answer. We didn't edit that, folks. This is live. He got it. Yeah, Citizen Kane <laughs> and then some of the old chestnuts, Gone with the Wind, Casablanca, you know. Gone with the Wind was going to be my other pick. Yeah, Casablanca. Yeah, and that's, that's two. Yeah, Casablanca. Yeah, they were up there somewhere. Graduates number seven? Yeah, I think so, yeah. On the AFI list? I mean, it may have been revised because they, they bring out a new list every few years, I think. But it will definitely be up the top there. So one of the things about this film... I have to give some props to my friend Rob Ager, who um, was on Film Gold. We did this film called Snowtown, which is another one you got to watch. But just be wary. Well, and I didn't. I, I love. I love Rob's work and your work, and it was one of those podcasts I I could only listen so far because I hadn't seen the film. Yeah. But that's yeah. one of those ones I got to get to soon. Yeah, it's, it's not an easy watch, but it, you will admire the filmmaking as we did. Anyway, so Rob Ager has this video, which is on YouTube, and I'll put it in the show notes, and we both watched it. Just analysing uh, basically like the first two minutes of the film, and there's so much yeah. in there. So I'll just go through a few things that he said, and then I, you can comment as well. The first thing you see is Hoffman does this brilliant thing where he just has this very blank expression almost like a trance, and then they, they begin with this sort of... So he's on an aeroplane, nobody's talking, everything's very uniform, and you've got this tannoy voice saying, uh, we're now beginning our descent into LA. <laughs> right. And the first bit yeah. of symbolism <laughs> is the idea of, uh, you know, Benjamin's descent into, yes. you know, adultery and this world where he doesn't feel like he's got any part in it. And yes. then they've got, um, Rob pointed out, you know, when when you hear this announcement, it's sort of fake sincerity. We've enjoyed having you on board. Thank you. For <laughs> right. You know? Right. And then Ben walks on a travelator. So here comes quiz question number two. What what Tarantino film completely ripped that off? Starts with someone walking along a travelator. Any ideas? Give you a clue if you need one. Something to do with an airport? A character who works at the airport? Oh. Female character? Yeah, Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown, yeah. Yeah, he, he, yeah. He totally stole that. But I love I love Tarantino for that. It's kind of like Oasis. When Oasis appeared in the 90s, they just shamelessly took bits from stuff they liked. And that's what Tarantino does. And I love it because they're still Tarantino films, you know. <laughs> but yeah, Rob pointed out, this is interesting. He's walking along the Travelator. So Benjamin is being pushed along by an external force. But all the people mm-hmm. around him are walking. So they're all in control of their destiny. And Benjamin yes. is being shunted along, which you see a lot. He's always being brought from one place to another. Absolutely. And I think Rob mentioned the stark white backdrop. Yeah. As he's coming down the uh, travelator, as you call it. Yeah. 
little little British speaker, a travelator. Well, I got uh, it from the from the video from the video <laughs> Rob's video. I don't even oh, know okay. if that's what, what do you call it. Uh, moving sidewalk. That's moving we, sidewalk. We there you go. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> so anyway, no, he's going down there, but in the backdrop is essentially a plain white backdrop, and it's very sterile, and he's very robotic and then i think the cut after that is his suitcase coming down coming down it goes down the little spiral and it's just you know he goes down there and walks down there you know rob makes some really good points about how that sets up you know the ultimate tone of the film and the in the themes that are going to be running through the film you see that right from the get-go yeah the luggage on the conveyor belt of life uh, someone else, another yeah. podcast, because I always listen to a couple of podcasts before we do these. Someone, mm-hmm. someone even said the white could be virgin or white. I'm going to ask you later whether you think Ben's actually a virgin at this point, but he certainly he's a virgin in this world that he's about to enter because he's he's been at university. <laughs> great, yeah, great. Been at point. university yeah. in this sort of cushy. He's like a high achieving the university, and mm-hmm. now suddenly he's in the quote unquote real world of mm-hmm. adults who he just finds unbelievably annoying all the time. Another theme, actually, is that his clothing, the first half of the film, he's basically, he's always dressed in a suit. Do you know the expression, an old fogey? I don't know if that's a, <laughs> yeah, is that a British course. thing. I so I didn't know if that's uh, a British no, old fogey, yeah. No, you yeah. could say he's almost like a young fogey, you know? He's sort of dressed a bit like a sort of middle-aged guy trapped in the body of whatever he is, 20 or 21, you know? But as we see later on, his dress style changes. Probably influenced mm-hmm. by Mrs. Robinson. More casual. That's he, what I mean. He kind yeah. of makes a transition from like, yeah, this like kind of preppy boy that's Absolutely. doing everything, you know, that has a suit. And then he's, he gets into this kind of casual thing where he's, you know, he's not shaving. He's like, you know, drinking beer. Takes and, up smoking as well, doesn't he? I'm yeah. I'm sure he doesn't smoking. smoke at the beginning. Shades no, he's and... a track star. They make a point of saying that and, there's a whole scene where Miss Robinson throws her cigarette in his trash can. And I he's love like, that. Oh, I he's love trying to that. get it out, you know. She and, throws and a it makes cigarette. a point of showing that transition, and all the little cues are set up so naturally that it just flows. And then, yeah, at the end, he's smoking on the raft. He's like laying there drinking yeah. beer. He's going out with his shirt unbuttoned. Yeah, he's still quite you know? stiff at that point, but. It's good the way they, it's quite subtle the way, well, it's not subtle the change of clothes, but you don't really necessarily see what it symbolizes completely. And then you see him in front of, uh, he's staring into the fish tank. Did you notice there was a little scuba diver in the tank? Yes. Which is foreshadowing like five minutes later, which I thought was interesting. I'm big on foreshadowing. I love it. Well, the whole fish, the whole fish Mm. tank theme runs throughout the film. There's an aquarium when they go to the hotel. So there's this whole idea that they're underwater, that they're in this like a sort yeah, of, in a fish bowl, but a goldfish bowl, yeah, you know, it's that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's like actually the bowl that you're in, right? Be, and mm. that's why you identify with mm. the film. That's why the film's so successful is you're inside your own bowl viewing that on this rectangular screen because you're watching it. You know, and you're you're connecting with this, realizing you're uh, you're identifying with it, talking about the symbolism of the film. It does it in a symbolic way, and it's much more impactful 
because you're not told, you're shown. And you have these feelings and perceptions about it without being hit over the head with it. No, it's funny because uh, to use a popular expression, the symbolism is quite on the nose, but it gets away with it. I wouldn't even say it's obvious. Well, it's obvious if you're looking for it. If you're analysing this film in order to make a podcast as we are, it's pretty clear, you know, the sort of conveyor belt of life, you know, all that kind of thing. But it's not well, and that's it's people not like clumsy. Us. It's not clumsy at all. No, Everything, no. Every single shot in that film is fucking deliberate mm. and absolutely 100% made to convey something. It's mm. almost Kubrickian. Kubrick never wasted a shot. We're two musicians talking about films, but mm. like you're making the song, like you're not just going to like throw some weird note mm. in there that doesn't have a place mm. in your song, in your creation. Every note has a purpose. You yeah. know, of course it's deliberate and people like us that want to sit and micro analyze these films mm. forever. We can see the attention to detail that went yeah. into creating that, but the average person who's maybe not looking for those sort of things. It's working on a level that they're able to identify with that without even knowing they're identifying with that. Definitely. The message is still getting through. That's the beauty of it. Yes. Yeah. But they may not be able to, like I say, if they're not analyzing it. Absolutely. Yeah. So we see Ben sort of shunted around and his parents are showing him off like an exhibit. And it's pretty clear, you know, it's that kind of... um, in America, they have this thing about bumper stickers, don't they? Like someone will put a bumper sticker saying, oh, my kid is like a straight A student. It's that, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's that kind of yeah. showing. It's, it's really quite cruel in a way. There's definitely a bit of tragedy, even though it's quite, the first half of the film is pretty comedic. There's a definite, if you analyze it deeply, there's a bit of tragedy going on. And Dustin, what I love about Dustin Hoffman, his robotic delivery, again, it's deliberate. That sort of, uh, hello, Mrs. Robinson. Yes, I'm a bit worried about my future. (laughs) It's that, I love it. I mean, I just can't get enough of it. Have you seen Elaine's portrait? Yeah. No. Would you like to see it? Very much. Very much so. (laughs) And these little little touches, I was going to get to this later, but do you remember when he he meets Mrs. Robinson in the hotel and he's obviously really nervous? And he says, Hello, Mrs. Robinson. It's Benjamin. <laughs> no, no, it not only goes, it's Benjamin, and then he says, Benjamin Braddock. Right. As if it's like some other Benjamin that's calling her. It's yeah. so good. But the script is just it is. Is stellar. Oh, and then uh, there's a few famous lines, and one of them is, uh, Ben, I got one word to say to you, plastics. Right. And Hoffman's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he, like, he stands there for a second. Yeah. You know, and there's like this pause, and then he's like, How do you mean, sir? You know, how do you mean, sir? Yeah, he's very polite, isn't he? And that's what I love because he's really polite to Mrs. Robinson as well at the beginning. He's always very respectful. And well, that whole scene, which is actually one cut up to the point where they actually get out out into the pool area, it's all it's super claustrophobic. The camera is there, but it's almost like that's in my opinion, why people identify with the film, because there's this sense that you're always there. Mm. Like you're always right there. You could be one of the characters. Well, you get POV shots, don't you, from Benjamin's POV, yeah. which mm-hmm. which I think helps. Yeah. Well, um, in that phase where he comes down the stairs 
And, you know, everybody's up in his face and, oh, Ben. And then he's like, oh, I was about to check something out in the car. Like yeah. He tells the ladies and then he goes out to go out to the car. And then, you know, the guy comes in and, and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I was about to go upstairs. Yeah. And he doesn't even like know what he's doing. He doesn't from one. He minute, just has to get out. Minute, he just has yeah, to get exactly. out and have a private moment. Yeah. When he goes outside with Mr. McGuire, I think it was, you know, he's like, Ben, Mr. McGuire, Ben, Mr. McGuire. <laughs> you know? It's brilliant. And then the, the people out at the pool are like, oh, there's Ben. He's like, excuse me. And he like yeah. runs back through the party, you know, and then the camera stops on Mrs. Robinson sitting there. Yeah. And then the next scene is her going upstairs to ask for the ride. There's a Woody Allen film called Stardust Memories, which is an absolute hidden gem for the mm. audience as well. If you haven't seen that, it's absolutely brilliant. I haven't. It's about being famous. He's playing a version of himself, which arguably you could say he always does. But I don't know if the whole film, but definitely the beginning of the film is all Woody Allen's POV. And it's, it's very similar to this. It's just people coming at him. Obviously, in the film, he's famous. So people are coming at him with offers right. oh i love your movie uh, i'm gonna make you a man right. or you know whatever so it's interesting that this film really influenced a lot of other films so ben goes upstairs and then we get mrs robinson really i would say mrs robinson to the rescue really because before we get this sudden switch about halfway through the film you know all his attention goes on her because mm -hmm. here's a bit of trivia do you know what the age difference was between dustin hoffman and Anne bancroft in real life if you don't know, have a okay, guess. Okay, I'm going to take a stab at this. I'm going to say either four years or six years. <laughs> six years. Okay, I got it. It's yeah. crazy because Dustin Hoffman was 29 playing 2021. 20, but, of course, last time – well, not last time. The first time we did a review was Marathon Man, and he was, he was essentially 40 playing like a postgrad student. He's a small guy. Yeah. And he's very young looking. He's kind of like the Ralph Macchio. I was just going to say, uh, Ralph, when yeah. I was growing up, it was Ralph Macchio and Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Mm -hmm. Fox looks about 12 in those films. <laughs> yeah. So Dustin Hoffman was 29, which would mean Anne Bancroft would be 35. I'd say Mrs. Robinson is probably about late 40s. You know, she's sort of foxy 40 kind of thing. I don't really like the expression MILF, but I suppose it's. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably, in fact, I'll probably cut that out, yeah. Um, Foxy 40 is good. Yeah. So Mrs. Robinson basically seduces him. That obviously leads to a famous line. Uh, another interesting thing, of course, we, she doesn't have a first name, and someone posited the idea. Oh, yes. She's so defined by the fact that she's married, and we, we obviously find out Ooh, later that yeah. it was almost a forced marriage, that they didn't give her a name because, in a way, it's to do with identity, you know? The other thing, uh, did you notice all the sort of animal and jungle imagery in her house? Yes. Uh, I think she wear, I don't know if it's leopard skin she's wearing. It's something, some animal. Yes. And then there's a, you see like there's a lot of very high plants in her house. It has a jungle. So obviously, again, it's very on the, <laughs> very on the nose when someone points it out. But to be honest, if I wasn't really looking to analyze it, it would have just well, we I said, think, it I think it, through. I mm. think that is deliberate. I always notice the music when she plays it and, you know, she's mm. getting him a drink and stuff. And it goes into this like, yeah, it's a yeah, sultry it, bossa nova. That's it. Yeah. So she's like the predator, you know, he's the prey. So I think yeah. that is very, that jungle feel to it is very deliberate. 
in that she was preying on him. Definitely. We've got to talk about motivations yeah. later because it gets a bit confusing for me. So then we get the famous, you know, Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. And then he goes, aren't you? Like he kind of <laughs> yeah, does, he does, <laughs> yeah. he does one or two. And this is famous as well. His head is sort of framed. It's inside her leg almost, isn't it? From yeah. a distance. That's a great shot. And then she puts her legs up and opens up, you know, and then he says, you're opening up your personal life. Yeah, that's it. It's yeah, brilliant. It yeah, because there's a bit later when he's on the when he's on the lilo and someone says, what are you doing, Ben? He goes, oh, I'm just drifting, which again, is right. he's, he's drifting through his life. He hasn't got a clue what he wants to do. And the, the other bit I love, this happens twice in the film. Mr. Robinson comes and he says to he says to Ben, do you want bourbon or scotch? And Ben goes, I'd like a bourbon, please, sir. And he yeah, just, and he's he got scotch. He just does yeah, it. He does yeah. it twice in the film. Yeah. That made and me Mrs. laugh. And Mrs. Robinson does it to him too. Oh, does in she? The first, she says bourbon or scotch, and he's like bourbon, and then she pours in the scotch does too. She do so that that's well. kind of oh, that's yeah, hilarious. I believe so. Yeah, she's a funny. What I love, Anne Bancroft does this very well. You realize after a while she's a sort of jaded. She's sort of confident but then insecure at the same time. Like deep down, she's very insecure, but socially, yeah. you know, when she's in the hotel and she orders a drink, she just, she, she knows exactly what to do. And she puts a cigarette in his bin, like we said, which is brilliant. So it's very interesting. So obviously they start their affair. And then Mr. Robinson's, I think he starts encouraging him to call Elaine at some point. So we keep hearing about Elaine and we've seen her portrait. We don't see her for a while. <laughs> I want to call attention to that scene, though, mm -hmm. that I think is one of the most important scenes of The Graduate. You know, he's been up in Elaine's room. She's mm -hmm. confronted him naked. He's like, oh, my God. You know, yeah. oh, dear Jesus, let me out. You know? yeah, that's it. And he runs out. You know, he hears Mr. Robinson come home and he runs down the stairs and he runs in there. He pours a drink, you know, and then Mr. Robinson comes in. Yeah. We also should talk about the camera, uh, how the camera is so important in this film. And not only the close up claustrophobic shots of, say, Ben's party early, mm -hmm. but the shot when Mr. Robinson comes home. So basically, he runs out of the room, and the next shot is from behind, you know, here looking at the front door and, mm -hmm. the, and the banister. And mm -hmm. Ben comes running down the banister. And, and he comes towards the camera. It's all one take, too, mm. which is phenomenal what they do. And he runs, he pours his drink, and Mr. Robinson comes in. And, and you know, he's like, oh, let's have a nightcap. And they sit down, and they're both of them are, are looking at each other, but we're behind it. Yeah. Just slightly, and they're talking, and he's telling him, like, oh, I bet you're great with the ladies. And oh, yeah. All this kind of, there's this whole dialogue going, you should have a fling. So yeah. some wild yeah. <laughs> right yeah yeah so you're wild and then she comes down right at a certain cue she comes down and walks in and then he stands up and she's like she's like sit down you know or mm. you know don't get up and he, and he like sits back down and they're this whole idea that we're sort of right there in mm. the conversation and the whole one take of it and and just the foreshadowing there of Oh, you should have a fling. You, mm. you know, I bet you're great with the ladies. And, mm. and like Ben's like, little does he know I'm going to be great with his wife yeah. before long. You know, yeah, it's but, great stuff. Yeah. So it's very influential, yeah. isn't it? Because a lot of those tracking shots and everything and doing something in one shot, that's very 70s. And this is 67. 
Okay, so then we get to Ben's 21st birthday. He's an exhibit again for his parents. He's in the scuba gear, again, symbolism. He's very uncomfortable. It's difficult to move because he's got the flippers on. There's a bit where it's sort of tragic and funny at the same time when his father's going, oh, let's bring out the birthday boy. And you can hear him going, Dad, can I talk to you? (laughs) Dad, can we have a word? Something like that. It's very funny. If this sort of film quiz ever gets annoying, just tell me and I'll stop. But no, no. You so know he's far, in, I'm doing all right. You know he's in the scuba gear with a POV and you can hear him breathing? Yeah. What film the next year would have a guy in a suit shambling along? You can hear this. <sighs> we talked about it in the intro episode. 2001, where yeah. he's going out to uh, fix the uh, bad pod. All you hear is his breathing. And even when he disconnects Hal as well, yeah, you just hear this mm-hmm. very heavy breathing. Mm-hmm. And then it's really interesting. He sort of descends into the pool, to get his like a descent, and his father's literally pushes him under the water, doesn't he? Right. Dad's pushing him down. Is there any more symbolism in the scuba gear? What do you think? You know, the obvious is you made a reference towards the little scuba man that was in his fish tank yeah, in, yeah. in the uh, bedroom scene early on. And then now he is that scuba diver in the mm. pool. The humor of it is surreptitious in a way. <laughs> and he's going, he has a harpoon gun and he's down there. In the, but when he goes out, it's shot through a fish-eyed lens. And that's the thing, because he's wearing this mask, you know, playing this part mm. in sort of all of what's expected of him. And so the fish-eyed lens of him coming out, and it's like, oh, we're celebrating this. And and it's through that. And then, yeah, his father's pushing him back down underwater. Yeah. You know, the symbolism, I mean, it's not hard to map out. Like, basically, yeah, you're they're keeping him submerged. That's it. And his dad's saying, oh, he's going to do these depth-defying tricks and yeah, all and this stuff. Not, yeah. And then he just stands there, you know? Yeah. And it transitions from inside his mask. So we're Ben, and then all of a sudden, then we're looking at Ben. The next scene is him calling Miss Robinson. He's sort of desperate enough. I don't mean that badly against Mrs. Robinson, but he clearly is very nervous about that, and he's scared of that idea. But he's so desperate by this point to just get away and just to make some change in his life. So he calls her, and then we get the bit that I was saying earlier. It's brilliant. He's already at the hotel. And then the receptionist, which is Buck Henry, mm-hmm. he goes, uh, mm-hmm. are you here for an affair, sir? Right. And then he says, and then it's called the Singleman <laughs> Party. And the, the thing I noticed, right. even when he goes into the party that he's nothing to do with, he's got these sort of clucking old ladies kind of shunting him around and introducing right. him to people that he's got no interest right. in. It's so interesting that they did a very clever thing where something that he's actually got nothing to do with, the same thing yeah. keeps happening to him. And he calls himself Mr. Gladstone, and we get a bit of that later, which is quite funny. Yeah, yeah. And then we get this great scene. This is very interesting. I don't know if you know this, but when he's going to book the room with the receptionist, who's actually Buck Henry, is the writer of this film. Mm-hmm. He wrote the novel? No, or the uh, he wrote the screenplay, yeah. Okay. Th- Sorry, man, I broke your thought. No, it's okay. Yeah, Mike Nichols told Dustin Hoffman to imagine he was buying condoms from a female shop assistant, which is a really great bit of direction. So Dustin Hoffman used that. This is just before the film kind of turns, which we'll get to in a sec. He goes, do you have any luggage, sir? Yes, it's in my car. I'll have a port to get it. Well, I only have a toothbrush. And then you get the gag where um, 
the receptionist goes to ring the bell. Yeah. Hoffman puts his hand down on the bell, then the porter, the receptionist puts his hand down on Hoffman's. It's oh, my, yeah, it's classic. It's yeah. brilliant stuff. It's old school comedy that's still fun today. Yeah, it's timeless, it's, isn't it? It's set up, but it's not really like totally set up that it's unplausible. That's the thing he kind of gets away. Hoffman almost gets to act badly in this film, but it's perfect because it's Ben. Because Ben is a bad actor. Ben is terrible at pretending he's something that he isn't. That's the genius of it. Yeah, well, that's a great point. And then we get some, uh, again, some brilliant writing. When he meets Mrs. Robinson, he says, uh, she says, Ben, is there something you want to tell me? And Ben says something like, yes, I'm tremendously excited about this. (laughs) uh, The room number? (laughs) Yeah. It's great. Well, I love that scene, too, when she goes, I'll meet you up there in whatever, five minutes. And he hangs up. And then the next shot is the room. We're right by the room. And it's like 586 or whatever the number. It's kind of fuzzy. But the shot's long down the hall. And we just watch him walk down the hall. You know, but like you say, he has this blank stare. And we we get that lock on his eyes and how there's sort of this like vacant it's almost like he's going down the travelator. He's on autopilot. He's just going where they tell him to go. Like he always has this sort of lost. That, look that's it. That, yeah, know. it's a sort of robotic thing, and he looks bemused, and he just does it perfectly. And that's yeah. the first half of the film, really, for him. Another famous scene: she takes a drag of her cigarette, and then he kisses her, and then <laughs> she blows the smoke out, which is funny. <laughs> And uh, yeah, here's a question. Do you think Ben is a virgin or do you think maybe he's had like a couple of sexual experiences? What do you reckon? I would guess he was probably a virgin, but I don't even know that the author or the writer even, well, maybe the author didn't even know, yeah. you know, because it didn't really You don't matter. have to know. Like, you don't have to yeah, know. Like it did, it didn't yeah, like it didn't really matter. I don't know. I'm sure he didn't have a lot of experience, but he was in college yeah, I can 60s. imagine. Yeah, I can so, imagine he had a few fumbles with. I, I, I'm sure it wasn't girls his own age, but going from yeah. that to someone like the Mrs. teeny Rob- boppers. Yeah, but going like going from that to someone like Mrs. Robinson, who you know, however insecure she is, she's also a woman of the world. She's a confident. I'd imagine she's very confident sexually. So, you know, he may as well, well be. Well, that was really. kind, that was kind of the funny thing about it, which was the lure to younger men i mean Mm. even when i saw the film whatever 30 years later 20 years later that's the lure you mentioned the jungle themes of it and and that is you're kind of just drawn to a woman that interestingly yeah well and and nichols made the film carnal knowledge not too many years later so he was already kind of on those themes of sexuality Mm. and that's a whole other layer to the film is is sexuality and attraction you know every guy's like young guy's fantasy is to be you know seduced by a an older leopard so to speak you know absolutely yeah yeah so they start this affair and then the next scene we get we get the sound of silence i think we did hear it earlier actually yeah mm-hmm. ben's drinking beer he's got the shades on it's like that perfect sunshine. Like, I mean, is it, I think they're in California, aren't they? Someone who's never been to California, yeah, LA. like me, you can almost not imagine. I mean, I've 
seen the sunshine in Thailand, I suppose, and I've been to Australia, but there's something about that shot, that sunshine coming down, and he's on the lilo. And like I said earlier, he says to, I don't know if it's his father, yeah, I'm just drifting. Drink, pretty yeah. on the nose, but, you know, pretty good. But and then you he- notice the shot, too, is he's in the raft laying back, mm. and his dad is behind the sun. And then the Robinsons come for dinner. Yeah, that's it. And, yeah. and they're like, oh, and they're all standing there looking down on him. And they're all, all their faces are sort of blurry from the back ray of the sun mm. there. So they kind of stand in his way towards greater clarity. So there's like a, a very distinct reason that they shot, made that shot from that perspective of them above him, but that they're blurry and it's not quite clear. Yeah, that's a camera trick, isn't it? Yeah, one thing's in focus and one thing's blurry. Then you get the jump cut from him from being on the lilo to being on top of Mrs. Robinson. That's a cool shot. Yeah. And then you get the the Robinsons and the Braddocks. They have different ideas about what Ben should do. Like the Robin, Mr. Robinson's all for take it easy, see what happens. And the Braddocks are obviously a bit more buttoned up. But interestingly, they're yeah. partners. We don't really get much on that, but we know that they're business partners. Like, I guess uh, maybe it's an yeah. opposites thing, you know. They both they they both fulfil different roles and they complement each other, you know. And then the next the next scene is a I don't know if it's the next scene, but the next significant one's Ben and Mrs. Robinson, and they've obviously been at it for a few months now. And he says, "Oh, you know, can you tell me something about yourself?" And so then she discloses that she got married because she right. got pregnant with Elaine. And an interesting detail actually is that Ben is very interested in the details. It happened in right. a car, like what kind of car? <laughs> right. Later later on, when he's he's asking Elaine about the blonde guy who's proposed to her, he's like, oh, how did he do it? Where did he do it? So that's another interesting yeah. part of his character, very meticulous in a funny way. Yeah. And actually, Ben starts laughing. He says, oh, old Elaine Robinson was conceived in a car. And it's actually the first <laughs> yeah. time you've actually ever seen Ben do anything <laughs> other than be very robotic. The only time he's been animated in the whole film. Just quite funny. Yeah. I think one of the connections that can be made is, you know, the drifting in the pool. The characters are all kind of drifting. And Mrs. Robinson is drifting. And you come to know more about why she's drifting because, you know, what she obviously divulges to Ben in bed and says, you know, I had to marry the guy because Mm. I was pregnant. So all these characters are sort of doing, they're all sort of that blank stare going Mm. down that conveyor belt. And they're all doing what's expected of them to do. You know, it's expected that Mr. Robinson and and Mr. Braddock are business partners. So therefore, Ben Mm. should meet Elaine and go out with Elaine. And, you know, it's all very neat. Mrs. Robinson, in her own way, we don't really maybe have a lot of empathy for her. Like we can't understand why she would, she says, don't go out with the lane. And then mm. they go out and then she confess. Everything happens within like a, a you know, a minute. Yeah. And it's she, very quick. She, yeah. You don't have empathy for Mrs. Robinson in that way. I think you feel a bit sorry for her when she divulges that. I mean, because, kind of. Yeah, I guess it's kind of yeah. overlooked. I think it's maybe not touched on as much. But I could see how you would if you looked into it a little bit. I think she becomes a bit of a cartoon villain 
towards the end. That's a thing I think. Yeah. I think we could yeah. do four hours on this, couldn't we? But uh, <laughs> yeah. okay. Yeah. I mean, I um, could talk about it twice sure. as long as the movie. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. I mean, this this is really where the film takes a turn. Is where you know we get Elaine. So here, here comes film quiz question again. So Ben mm -hmm. takes her out on a date and he takes her to a sleazy strip joint. So yeah. what, what 70s film can you think of where a guy takes a woman take, on a date to a sleazy place? To oh, a taxi of, driver. Taxi driver, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Takes her to a porn film, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in, in Taxi Driver, Travis Bickle, although he turns out to be a complete <laughs> lunatic, there's a weird kind of naivety because he, he almost says sincerely to Sybil Shepherd, Oh no, you know, a lot of couples come here and, and Well yeah, that. and that's what I was you gotta be kidding. Well, Taxi Driver would have been more an homage to that. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Taxi Driver was in the seventies. Absolutely. So maybe yeah. it was paying some sort of homage to the graduate. Well, if I can just tell you Scorsese said about that. On the mm. surface, he thinks it's acceptable, but deep down, he's trying to self-sabotage. On the surface, Travis Bickle's just a bit weird or, you know, but Ben is deliberately, you know, he wants to scupper this date, doesn't he? Of course, he? yeah. I like the bit where they're in his car eating the hamburgers. They suddenly seem very yeah. relaxed. He starts opening up a bit, and I kind of like that. Well, she kind of calls him on his bullshit. We all need someone to do that, don't we? Yeah, yeah. She's like, why am I here? And then she runs off down the sidewalk. I absolutely love that tracking shot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where this is another brilliant technique that's used in the film. When they go into the strip club, Ben's walking super fast. He's trying to keep up with him. And he's mm. like, come on, let's go. You know, and they walk in there. And then she runs out of the strip club. And then it's opposite. He's chasing her. And we're on the other side of the street and we see that. And then, you know, she's like, are you trying to, you know, what, what's your problem? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Oh, I hate, I'm not like this. I hate myself. Like yeah. This. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, and that's like a really important line because it says that Elaine was the one person he could kind of relate to and find meaning with. Yeah. He says you You're know? the first thing in so long that I've liked. Um, yeah. Which is strange because uh, literally 10 minutes earlier in the film, he said to Mrs. Robinson, this is the one thing in my life I look forward to. So uh, this is the point where, although I love this mm. film, you might have to start defending some of these rather weird choices that it makes. I love the film, don't get me wrong. It's number 35 on my flick chart out of 1,500. So um, <laughs> I just feel like the film, although Elaine is beautiful, no doubt, and she's charming, you know, she'd be a catch for anybody. They go on one date and then Ben turns into a bit of a stalker. And I, yeah. think, I think there's a kind of darkness to him. He, he turns into a, well, to use modern parlance, like a bit of a dick. He starts doing these dick moves. You know, we met, we talked about Simon and Garfunkel and yeah. the theme song, the main song. Yeah. The opening line is, hello, darkness, my old That's friend. That's right, yeah. There is a transition to where, you know, obviously things get super weird now miss robinson just basically lets the cat out of the bag he turns into this sort of stalker he does of her. Yeah. not because it's her but but he's a stalker of an idea because there's something fresh there there's something he related it's something to he believes found, in yeah, and he found yeah. meaning in that, I get that it, yeah. now he's willing to go to all these extremes that may may not even be right He's just willing to go towards them to find some sort of 
sense of realness. I get it. No, no, I take your point. All I'm saying is the execution, you know, in a film, it's got to, even if a character takes a turn, you've got to feel like it's believable. And some of the stuff he does, he's so far removed from what he was 20 minutes earlier. In what way? I don't know. Well, he spends the first half of the film, he's this kind of quite charming, totally out of his depth. Then, okay, he has an affair. He obviously grows in a bit of confidence. He starts dressing differently. But some of the stuff he does, he sort of becomes a little bit sort of smug. Like when he proposes marriage, he's very, I suppose the modern word would be entitled. I don't know how to describe it. Just a bit stalkery, really. Well, I don't say he does it. I mm. agree with you what you're saying, but isn't that sort of the point of Ben's character? The whole point is it starts out from ground zero that the guy's confused. Yes. He doesn't know where he belongs in any of this that's happening to him. He's concerned about his future. And then yet he reverts back to, oh, I should propose to Elaine. Yeah. Right. And then he's just proposing to Elaine out of nothing. And like the average person's like, why are you fucking proposing to her? You've known her for a day. Like you knew her for a date. But it's like, it's like one of these guys that you know that goes out with the chick and she smiles at him and, or, you know, gives him a kiss and he's like, oh, I love this chick. Yeah. I I get it. She's very charming and everything. She's really beautiful. Um, she is, but I mean, it's kind of making fun of that. It's kind of like poking fun in a weird, dark way. Yeah, It, it does turn dark. I agree with you. Mm. But it's like, oh, now you're obsessed with this girl? Are you crazy? Yeah. I'm just saying, like, maybe to you it's more believable than it is to me, and that's the only difference. I still think it's great filmmaking, but... Oh, there's one shot. I wanted to ask you about this. The shot of him driving over the bridge. Is that the Golden Gate Bridge or is that some other bridge? Yeah, that was Golden Gate Oh, that was a Golden Gate, yeah. I love that shot, like, from a distance. All the stuff in the car, I feel like, um, because he's got his own car, it's the one thing he's almost in control of. Uh, So he follows her to Berkeley. She's studying. And then we get this, he gets a boarding (laughs) house. That was quite funny. Yeah. You you obviously noticed Richard Dreyfus. Should we call the cops? You want me to call the cops? I'll call yeah, the cops. Yeah. yeah, that's Dreyfus. Yeah, exactly. That's Dreyfus. Oh, wow. yeah. Well, um, the guy, the attendant there, the, yeah, the, the landlord. Yeah, whatever, the landlord. The landlord, yeah. yeah. He's from uh, Three's Company. Which I was, was going to say, yeah. to an English guy, I have no idea about that, but these two guys I was listening yeah. to talking, they were saying, <laughs> oh, does he play a landlord in that as well? Yeah, he plays a landlord oh, okay, in that, okay, Mr. Okay. Roper, and it kind Mr. of plays Roper. on, he plays on that sort of part from The Graduate uh, in the series. It's not a series I really, I was into really, it's it's funny, you know, yeah. and it's about a guy with two female roommates, uh, and the landlord is suspicious of him, And yeah. but it's definitely an homage to kind of based on that graduate landlord same mm. guy it's interesting he got kind of ty- he got typecast from the graduate yeah right yeah and then we get um scarborough affair played over and over again which is which i'm all right with because i love scarborough affair no problem and then they okay. get the bit um she goes to meet this carl guy this is another slight issue with the film perhaps they could have made the film 15 or 20 minutes longer and had a few more scenes because everything happens so quickly. Ben asks her to marry him. She's also engaged to this Carl guy. And then before you know it, 
they're about to get married. What's the time frame, do you think, from the time he follows her to Berkeley? Because it, mm. it seems like about a week in the film, but it must have been a bit longer than that. But then how long could he be stalking her for? It's weird, isn't it? It's very quick. Yeah, we don't really get a sense of time. But it's probably better if we don't, to be honest. Yeah, you know, he's up there. He obviously goes up there to find her. Mm. He sits in the classes there. And in the book, you know, he's not even a student. Oh, there. they just he let him sit in. School there. Uh, yeah. It's kind of funny, too. The other parts of the book, he goes away and he, like, just fights forest fires uh, and stuff. You know, it adds a little more to his drifting. Yeah, that's what I would have... If they just made this film 10 or 15 minutes longer and we could have just seen a bit more of the development of that because it feels like suddenly the film, it must be the last half an hour, suddenly all this stuff happens. I think it had been really perfectly paced. You know, it's not bad. You know, I'm not dissing the film, yeah. really. But that's yeah. just a sense I got. And then also it seemed like the comedy seemed to just sort of disappear. There were little bits of it. But I felt like yeah. I'm not sure whether I was watching now watching a drama. I think it's kind of funny because okay, let's say the landlord's like, "Who are you? Yeah, yeah. What are you doing here?" And then, "Why was that girl screaming? Yeah, you know, she screamed. Oh, called the guy. It's kind of funny. That's funny. Like, yeah, that's funny. In a, in like a weird way, and then this Mr. Robinson shows up, and he's like, "I think you are Phil." And the landlord and says, like, "Right, you're definitely out." Yeah. Yeah, he's like, I want you out of here. Yeah, you know, I don't trust you. You know, all this kind of stuff. It's kind of funny. Like, and what's kind of funny is he's a cuck. Like, that's kind of the funny thing. Is like his wife didn't sleep with him. They slept mm. in different rooms. She went, got with Ben, a young stud, and then he's all pissed off, and he goes in there and he acts like a total cuck. Cuckold. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a cuckold. You know, Impact. he's like. He's yeah. like Mm. You think that low of me, you know, like how is Mrs. Robinson supposed to be attracted to this, this douche? Yeah. You know, he doesn't have anything, you know, Ben, he doesn't really either, but he has a little bit of virility and he, you know, and he's able to kind of just, to me, it makes sense that he's, of course he had the mom. He wants to have the daughter, Mm. you know, he wants to go there, even though like Mm. maybe he shouldn't. But I think it is funny, like, you know, he's like, oh, I'm the Reverend Smith. You know? Oh, yeah, so that's like funny. Brother, we'll get there in know? a sec. Just one second. I just want to talk about the, yeah, they go to the zoo, and then we get yeah. this Carl guy, and I don't know where he's supposed to have come from. It's not clear when she met him, but he's obviously the safe bet. He's a kind of a frat boy. Exactly. He's got a yeah. pipe as well, which is quite funny. Yeah. And then uh, they go to the monkey house, and there's a sign at the monkey house that says "Do not tease," which I thought was quite. Yeah, funny. yeah, yeah. That was. So that was a nice bit I of humor. Yeah. It's just a darker humor. It, it it switches to a less of a awkwardness to like a darkness. You know, I think it's bold. Yeah, I mean, they obviously worked because this was a huge smash. This is one of the biggest films of 1968, so they they got it right. We'll just go forward a little bit. So. Uh, Obviously, Ben is confronted by Mr. Robinson, as you said, in a boarding house. Uh, Lane, leave, Lane leaves and leaves him a note. He goes back. He breaks into their house, and Mrs. Robinson's there and, and calls the cops on him. So he gets out of there. Yeah. So it's all moving pretty quickly. And then he, he goes to the frat house to find out when they're getting married, and then uh, sort of fast forward to the end. So we've got this famous scene. 
He runs out of gas. He runs to the church. I love the Elaine, that scream. I think that is perfect. Yeah. It's really desperate. Elaine! He's banging on right. the glass. It, he really right. got that perfectly. But then when she shouts, Ben, it's very, she sort of shrieks. I think that, that was supposed to be funny. I think his one's supposed to be quite profound and hers is supposed to be funny. But before she screeches, you get the blurbs, but there's no sound. Oh, yeah, all the people, but, yeah. You know, and they're like, how did you Yeah. But the sound's muted. And then she does a street, the shriek out, you know, to him. Mm. And it's kind of like breaks that barrier of sound that yeah, makes well, this... you jolt and bring them, the two of them together. Well, I'm, wonder, I'm wondering whether Mike Nichols went to film school because this was the age of the film brats, you know, Scorsese, De Palma, Coppola. And they would have learned all this stuff from sort of Russian and German expressionism of the 30s or even from silent movies. So the idea, you're making a talkie, why not put some silent stuff in there? Because we used, they were probably thinking, we used to watch silent films and we didn't need to see people talking. You know, Passion of Joan of Arc and all those films, you know, you don't need to uh, hear their voices. I actually just watched oh, did that you? Oh, it's amazing. I just watched it like three weeks ago. It's amazing. Uh, it's just all in her face, isn't it, basically? Yeah. Everything is just her expression. Yeah. It's absolutely You brilliant. don't need anything else. Yes. And then we get, I mean, there's so many famous scenes, but this is another famous scene. Uh, I mean, Mrs. Robinson actually hits her daughter pretty savagely. But the line I like yeah. is she says, it's too late. And she says, not for me. Not for me. Mrs. Robinson got trapped in a loveless marriage, but she actually wants Elaine to marry this Carl guy. And essentially, mm -hmm. Elaine, you know, you can see what's mm -hmm. going to happen. She's going to get trapped in a loveless right. marriage. Yeah. Oh, just one other funny line. Sorry to go back a little bit. When he's confronted by Mr. Robinson, he said, Mr. Robinson, it didn't mean anything. It was just like shaking hands. <laughs> and and when, it, when Mr. Robinson walks out, he goes, oh, forgive me if I don't shake your hand. <laughs> That is yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Anyway, yeah. okay, so um, Ben obviously grabs this enormous cross, beats them away with it, and then uses it to, bar uses yeah, it to yeah. barricade the door. Yeah, very, yeah. very famous. And then we get the bit that was foreshadowed at the very beginning, as we said earlier. He leads her by the hand, and they run to the bus. Right. However, this is what stops it being a straight rom-com, because in a rom-com, you probably would have cut at the point where they're smiling because they're really happy with themselves. They just think it's kind of been a good lark. Right. And I love the passengers all just staring blankly at them. That's a great shot as well. Notice how that the expressions on the bus are the same expressions that were on the airplane. You know, he he's at the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the very beginning it's the shot is Ben's face mm. and then it backs out to see all the other people in the airplane just like kind of staring forward and yeah, no one's talking just, or anything yeah, yeah they're all just like kind of looking forward being brought on this bus or airplane or wherever it is to the next destination and there's sort of this empty gaze and then they go into the back of the bus but then it's Absolutely. also it's a yellow bus, which in the states it's a school bus that's interesting you know so it's, it's kind of like the reality that they're kids children yeah, yeah the children you know yeah, yeah. let me just describe uh, the very end because i'm sure obviously listeners will have seen this but they're both smiling mm -hmm. at what they've done and it's a bit of a lark and then you get the bit that is not the traditional rom-com ending suddenly the smile fades but this is really interesting 
then at one point she starts to smile and he isn't smiling and then she mm-hmm. stops smiling and he starts smiling and that must yeah. be deliberate oh, and then God. she and then she, she looks at him and in a traditional rom-com he would look at her and then they'd fade to black but he doesn't right. look at her mm-hmm. he's got that blank stare exactly that we talked about that he started with at the end yeah the one the same one like... he started with very interesting. And the final thing is they play Sound of Silence, which, as we said, yeah. this is, although it's a real fun song to listen to, it's depressing. In a rom-com, you'd, you'd have the Bo Diddley thing, like it'd be, you'd have them smiling and yeah. then it'd be fade to black. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, even in what I think are the greatest rom-coms of Hollywood, I always point to two, Groundhog Day, which I think is great, which we've done on the show, and When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, Even yeah. them, they've got plenty of layers, but they still go for the, I don't call it a cop-out ending, but the crowd-pleasing ending. Expected where, ending. Yeah. Expected, the yeah. crowd-pleasing, because in this one, they kind right. of do it, but then the last 10 seconds, they kind of blow it in a way. Not blow it in a bad way, because obviously the audience has loved it, but it's very, very interesting. I love that ending. It's great. But that's the awesome thing about mm. the 60s mm. and the 70s era of film. Mm. It never wrapped shit up in a pretty, I mean, it did at times, depending on what film you watched, but yes. like the 60s, I would say 65 on. Yes. Predominantly, but the 60s and 70s films, they didn't wrap stuff up for people. Mm. People were able to draw their own conclusions about what they saw and what they experienced and what they felt. And that's what, to me, makes it, I mean, we've done shows about the 70s. Yeah, but we talked about it on the intro, didn't we? we, Yeah. I think it's the greatest period of Hollywood. We have segments on that. And that's kind of why it it left an air to the audience to fill in their own gaps. Or realize, as you just said before, that there there aren't any conclusions. There's nothing definitive. But that's life, you know. Life never wraps up in a nice parcel, does it? That's true. I don't need to tell you that, obviously. I'm telling the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure they know it too. <laughs> yeah, young listeners, life. Well, occasionally you might get a nice ending. Everything wraps up <laughs> nicely. But anyway, yeah, this has been fantastic. We've done a real deep dive here. Do you want to just make uh, some closing comments? This is clearly one of your favorite films. And, you know, I don't want to get on your case, but, you know, we still haven't seen your top <laughs> 10 films. <laughs> Oh, when are we going to get that? Here we go. I'm putting you on the yeah. spot now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out on that video really <laughs> soon. My top 10, I mean, looking at your films, and, and it's funny because we may not have, like say our top 10 might not all align, but look, if you've seen as many movies as Anthony has, and as I have, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're looking at 1,500 probably... 3,000 films plus between us, you know, maybe that you've seen, I haven't, maybe that I've seen, you haven't. I mean, when you see that many films, you're obviously committed to the art of filmmaking. And so we both love it. We may, you know, probably in our top 10, we probably share, I know we share like probably two films, but like if you're going up to 30 or 50 out of 2000 films, or 3,000 films, you know, we're in major agreement on at least our top, what we would consider our top 100 films. Honestly, this flick chart, 
The problem with flick chart is when you when you rank a film, it only ranks it against about six or seven others. So this this mm. flick chart is by no means perfect, but by top hundred, not in necessarily the correct order is there. For sure. All right, just a All quick right, wrap man. up. Yeah. So thanks yeah. very much. When your top ten does come, I'm pretty sure the graduates in it. I don't want to give away, but I think you. It's yeah. definitely right up at the top. Well, if it me. hasn't been in the rest of your top hundred, then it must be. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll look forward to that. So your uh, channel is Jake Rush in the car, and you got some music. You put music up there pretty frequently, don't you? You put some songs up there. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. I just there's been two albums released this year. At, you know, Apple Music, Spotify. You could check yep. them out. Search Jake Rush in the car, and I put a usually a preview like one song every month or so oh, up on cool. the channel and. You know, obviously do all the talk with the the movie stuff when Anthony and I can get together. And Mm. Anthony's also a great musician, so you got to check his stuff out as well. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree. I I completely agree. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have a website, yeah. Anthony without an H, Rotuno, R-O-T-E-N-O.com. So I've managed to get all my my blog because I write as well, and I'm writing a book based on one of my podcasts, so... Yeah, we're both, uh, you know, keeping the creative fires burning. That's good. So I'll get a couple of links. I'll put your YouTube channel and uh, anything else I find. I'll put a link in the show notes. And thank you very much. And as I say, I think this is going out just before New Year or just after. But either way, we can say Happy New Year to the listeners. And <laughs> Yeah. Happy New Year, everybody. And thanks for diving into these great films with us. I really enjoy all my time here on Film Gold. And I think we should probably do the, we should probably complete the Hoffman trilogy really by doing Midnight Cowboy. I feel like that's probably the next one. Yeah, I kind of feel like that's next, right? Yeah, because it's Dustin again, because he's so good in this. I mean, I would have, I haven't seen In the Heat of the Night, so I can't judge whether Rod Steiger was better, but. I mean, I could give a shit about the Oscars these days, but I think in those days they were pretty solid. So thank you very much. And I'll talk to you again soon. Sayonara. All the best. If you'd like to support my work across my three podcasts, which are Film Gold, Glass Onion on John Lennon, and Life and Life Only, Go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Anthony Rotuno where you can make a one-off donation or take out a monthly or yearly subscription which will give you early access and bonus podcast content. Thanks again for listening.